Hi, this is my dad's podcast, Power Time. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is a retro gaming audio program for gamers of all ages. I'm Tom Tate. I'm your host and guide, and I will be taking you through the history of Nintendo one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. This is season two of the show, and we're working through each issue from the year 1991. This was an absolutely incredible year for Nintendo. This saw the release of some of the Nintendo Entertainment System's finest games, and of course, the release of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. In the last issue of Nintendo Power, Volume 20, Howard Phillips, Gail Tilden, and the rest of the publishing crew set the bar super high with the Mega Man 3 issue. This issue showcased all of the action and adventure in Mega Man's latest quest to defeat Dr. Wily. We also saw a fantastic preview of the Super Nintendo. So check out PowerTimePodcast.com slash 20 if you haven't caught that one yet, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So it's going to be a tough act to follow. Uh, We're going to see if this issue's content and featured game, Star Tropics, can rise above. We've also got some guest commentary from video game journalist and writer David Oxford. Really, really excited about that. And at the end of the episode, I'll be announcing the name of the person who won the SNES Classic that I was giving away at the end of this episode. So stick around for that, and uh, you can fast forward if you can't handle the anticipation, uh, but I hope that you'll stick around and enjoy the episode. If you have any feedback for the show, I'll definitely share it on air, good, bad, or indifferent. You can head on over to powertimepodcast.com slash iTunes and leave a quick note on Apple Podcasts. A quick, honest review really helps me continue to improve the show. And again, I'll be happy to read those on the air. All right, let's start this show. Let's get right into it by gearing up for an island adventure. We're going to jump right in and scope out the cover of Volume 21, the February 1991 issue of Nintendo Power. So the cover of this issue of Nintendo Power is super bright and colorful. I really, really like uh, the colors that are used here. It's a fantastic cover. The primary image is a parrot. And if you play Star Tropics, we'll we'll later learn that the parrot's name is Peter. So he's actually a character in the game. We see palm trees in the background. Uh, There's a beach. There is an ocean. There are a lot of weird animals and creatures. Looks like a kind of a dodo bird with a skeleton head. Uh, We have a starfish. We have kind of a periscope peeking out in the water, and there's a dolphin in the background. So a lot of strange elements here. Uh, We also see piano keys on the beach, uh, which is a little bizarre as well, kind of making a rippling pattern. And it looks like the design for this was made out of cut paper arranged on a canvas, as opposed to the normal styles that we see on covers, which is the claymation style, which is very popular in the uh, original issue, the Super Mario Brothers 2 issue. And then uh, the other style, which I like to call just the crude illustration style. Uh, and then I guess there is a third style, which is the Ninja Gaiden uh, style, where there is just a photograph of a person dressed up like a character, uh, which is my least favorite, of course. Uh, but this is a really nice cover. Uh, it's very, very well done. It's certainly eye-catching. I know that if I was walking past uh, my local B. Doughton booksellers back in 1991, and this caught my eye, uh, I would definitely be all over this uh, particular issue. 
Luckily, I had a subscription, uh, so I was excited to receive this in the mail. And when I did, I saw Star Tropics Perils in Paradise. Don't miss TMNT 2, the arcade game, Ultima, Quest of the Avatar. Plus, we have a Game Boy Round Ball Roundup. We have the official Nintendo seal of quality, so you know it's going to be great. And of course, this is uh, $3.50 in the US and still $4.50 in Canada. And then, of course, that final strip, uh, that red bar that ran across the bottom of the cover, the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. So this is going to be a great issue. I'm really excited. Flip open uh, to the first page and you'll see Powerline. So Powerline is kind of that letter from the editor. It's kind of an intro to the issue. So we're going to learn how games are rated in this issue using the power meter scores. We're going to learn about Star Tropics. From all accounts, this is verbatim, from all accounts, it's well worth the wait. Mike is no yo-yo. In fact, we think he's destined to join the ranks of Nintendo superheroes like Link and Mario. Destined to join the ranks of Nintendo superheroes like Link and Mario. Well, it's not really the case. We're going to dig into that in this episode. It's a lot of fun to look back on these through the lens of time, right? Because we know, of course, that Star Tropics uh, was not destined for that type of legacy, right, in the Nintendo uh, history. And I also saw no indication that Star Tropics was delayed. I don't remember hearing too much about it leading up to this issue, but uh, it does go on to describe Star Tropics and a few more games, uh, which we will cover. Uh, the table of contents lists a few games that are not on the cover. So Quantum Fighter, Magician. Uh, of course, we'll have Now Playing and Packwatch, uh, a couple updates on current games and upcoming games. Uh, we have the Gremlins 2 Game Boy Edition here covered. Uh, we also have the traditional sections, Players Pulse, Top 30, NES Achievers, Howard and Nestor, Classified Information, Counselor's Corner, and of course, that power to the player, look inside uh, at how the power meter ratings come about. So this is a great issue, and there's so much to cover. So we're going to jump right in with our featured game. Adventure game fans rejoice. Star Tropics features adventure as big as the deep blue sea in an epic quest with cosmic consequences. We'll take a quick dip into the mysteries of the first two island encounters in this issue. This is Star Tropics. And what we just heard was the Star Tropics medley by a band called Lame Genie. So I was a little concerned. I was worried that there wouldn't be any awesome covers of the Star Tropics soundtrack because this is a lesser known title. But thankfully, I was so wrong. Uh, Lame Genie is one of the best bands out there. You have to go listen to all of their tracks. Uh, check out a link in today's show notes uh, to go hear more. 
So Star Tropics, where to begin with this game? There is plenty to share. Lots of interesting facts about this bizarre little title. Uh, let's start with Nintendo Power's coverage. Uh, so Star Tropics, it was published by Nintendo. Uh, it uses the MMC6 chip, which of course we talked about the different MMC chips in the last uh, the last episode of the show. Uh, the power meter, graphics and sound, 3.8. Play control, 3.3. Challenge and Excitement 4.3 and Theme and Fun 4.3. Uh, so that is out of five. Uh, so it didn't do terrible according to this, a slightly above average game according to this review here. Uh, we kick things off with an introduction to the main character. We see an illustration of Mike Jones. He's holding a cat, he has a camera uh, around his shoulder. He's holding a fishing pole and he has a speech bubble and says, hi, my name's Mike. I'm a baseball player from the mainland. My uncle, the famous archeologist, Dr. Steve Jones has a laboratory here on Sea Island. The Sea Islanders call him Dr. J. I came here on vacation to meet him for the first time, but the day before I arrived, he mysteriously vanished. Now I've got to explore the islands to find him and you can help. Your journey begins on Coral Cola. So the journey does indeed begin on Coral Cola. Uh, we begin our quest on Sea Island. Uh, this only has a single village to explore, and there we meet the uh, chief Coral Cola. We have another illustration of him, uh, and he says, The news of your uncle's disappearance is very disturbing. His assistant says that he was captured by aliens. This may have something to do with the recent sightings in the night sky. I'm counting on you to get to the bottom of this and save Dr. J. Take the powerful island yo-yo and fight your way through the tunnel to Dr. J's lab. You'll find help there. So we uh, learn a little bit about some of these characters. We see another illustration of the shaman of Coral Cola. So there's a wide cast of characters in this game and a really interesting environment. So we're on this tropical island, but we're also hearing about aliens. Uh, so you're in for quite an adventure, of course. Uh, there's another call out here about Mike's primary weapon, uh, which is the yo-yo. Uh, so he'll be using a yo-yo, which he can kind of sling out, and it uh, can attack uh, enemies and obstacles that are far away. And it can also attack uh, enemies that are across gaps that you can't actually walk over. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about gameplay in just a minute. So Nintendo Power then guides us through Chapter 1, which includes a dungeon much like Zelda's dungeons. It also includes a boss fight. In this case, it's the Sea Serpent. Uh, that's with the letter C, get it? Uh, because we are on Sea Island. The magazine coverage also includes the maps, the enemy details, special item locations, and boss tips for the first chapter. Uh, the maps in this game are crucial to have. It's really important to have a resource like this uh, when trying to solve the puzzles in the dungeons or even just determine what path you need to go on, what path is a dead end, what path is going to lead you uh, to the end of the dungeon. Uh, so I, I definitely had these on hand when I was playing the game recently, and it was very, very helpful. Uh, after you defeat the sea serpent, you arrive at Dr. J's lab where you meet his assistant, Babu. Uh, you get access to his submarine, the Subsea, along with a robot navigator who looks a lot like Rob the Robot uh, from the early NES days. Uh, but now that you have a submarine, you can leave Sea Island. You can start your quest to find Dr. Jones. The magazine then kind of repeats this model for Chapter 2, which culminates into a boss battle with an Octo. You may remember the Octo enemies from The Legend of Zelda, and uh, they look very similar here. Uh, this 
uh, final boss is Octo the Huge. Uh, there's some great illustrations here, uh, especially there's these cute dolphins that you end up saving after you defeat Octo. Uh, they're kind of on the cover of the magazine and then also here as well. There's a pullout map for the other chapters and the entire game's world. So you can get a glimpse at what the future chapters, the setting of the future chapters, uh, some light details about those chapters to come. There's eight chapters in total in this game, and there's a teaser in Nintendo Power to stay tuned for more coverage in the next issue. And we'll definitely talk briefly about that next issue, but we're really going to cover kind of the bulk of Star Tropics right now. I want to touch quickly on the history of this quirky and unique game, but first, let's listen to another awesome track from the soundtrack of Star Tropics. So that was the dungeon theme as performed by Playing With Power. And that is such a groovy little rendition. I love that. I'm going to link that up in the show notes as well so you can check it out. I want to kick things off by saying that the most interesting thing, in my opinion, is that Star Tropics was developed and published by Nintendo. And while it did get a sequel, uh, Star Tropics 2, Zoda's Revenge, it's ultimately a game that is not referenced very much anymore. And Nintendo is infamous for bringing back franchises and referencing them from time to time. Whether that's a full remake like Metroid 2, uh, which recently came out, uh, Samus Returns, which recently came out on the 3DS, or if it's just a reference in a game like Smash Brothers, either including one of the characters as a playable character in Smash or including a reference as a trophy. Even Earthbound, despite not getting a formal release after Mother 3, it has had its characters referenced in Nintendo merchandise and also in Smash Brothers throughout the year. So we might not be able to answer that question. We might not be able to answer why Star, Tropi- Star Tropics is kind of absent uh, in today's Nintendo landscape, but we definitely will dig into how the series came about. So Star Tropics was developed in Japan and released in the United States in December of 1990, and then later in Europe in 1992. I'm not sure why there was such a big gap. And this is super interesting. There was never a release in Japan. Uh, and that's really, really uh, bizarre for Nintendo. Typically, NES games, uh, in the United States at least, they were adaptations of games that were initially developed in Japan and for Japan. So it was the other way around with Star Tropics. This game was written, directed, and produced by the just recently retired Genyo Tekada from Nintendo R&D 3. So Tekada 
uh, and R&D3. I'm going to butcher all the Japanese names, so I apologize, as always. Uh, but Tekeda and the uh, R&D3 group at Nintendo, they primarily worked on hardware. According to Wikipedia, and I'm going to read this verbatim, R&D3's primary responsibilities were the technical hardware design and development software for both the arcade systems and then later home consoles. So the Famicom and the NES, uh, that was part of R&D3's uh, initial mission at Nintendo. The team also helped create bank switching and the MMC chips in the NES cartridges. Uh, they're also credited for working on battery backups in the NES game packs. So they were responsible for much of the technology that made everything possible uh, in a lot of the games that we're discussing on this podcast. Later, Tekeda would work on the N64 controller, and also one of the, he was also one of the lead developers for the Nintendo Wii. So it seems to me uh, like he was a big influencer at Nintendo, and he had his hands in a lot of things. And occasionally his team would make games. Uh, so they made the arcade and NES version of Punch-Out uh, with uh, Takeda at the helm. And then Takeda designed Popeye uh, with Shigeru Miyamoto. Uh, and of course, he led the creation of Star Tropics. Uh, so he has some games under his belt prior to making Star Tropics. Uh, this wasn't his first kind of leap into the software side of things. Uh, and if you're interested in the deeper history of Star Tropics, I definitely recommend Norm the Gaming Historian. Uh, he's a YouTuber. He has a great video that you have to watch. I will embed that in the show notes so you can check it out. And he talks a bit why uh, Takeda uh, took this particular project on. Uh, so Genyo Takeda wanted to see the Eastern developers cater specifically to the North American market. So he noticed uh, that the North American market was going to be very important uh, for the future of Nintendo and the future of uh, the NES. So he wanted to cater to this market. He draws a ton of inspiration from American culture, and we'll talk about that, but also games that fared well in the U.S. So we see some parallels here to The Legend of Zelda and other action-adventure games, but with its own Western slant, kind of similar to what we see in Earthbound uh, when Earthbound is released. For starters, all of the islands in the game reference cola. And I thought that this was really funny and, and you know, super intentional. Uh, but the names of your characters, they're also very common American names. We have Mike Jones. We have Dr. Jones, which many associate with Indiana Jones. Uh, they even reference Dr. Jones in this particular issue of, issue of Nintendo Power. Uh, and, you know, even though this is ultimately a fantasy game, it replaces swords and shields with yo-yos, baseballs, and football spikes. Uh, it has this level of quirkiness that I think makes the game really, really unique. There are animals, but there are also monsters, aliens, just a lot of different bizarre creatures that you run into. Uh, and we're going to listen to one more Star Tropics track, and then we're going to start to wrap things up uh, just with some notes on the gameplay mechanics of Star Tropics. I'll talk a little bit about how this game plays, and then we're going to hear from our guest commentator, David Oxford.
So that track was Navcom by a musician who goes by the name Apollo Merriweather. He produced a full tribute album for this game. It is really something else. So you have to check that out and uh, definitely check it out because it's free to download and it's also pay what you want. So if you want to support, you can support for as little as a dollar. So feel free to support Apollo Merriweather. I will put the link in the show notes uh, or just you know stream the whole album because it's a lot of fun and, and really uh, just a great listen uh, when you're trying to multitask or do other things. So the game itself, Star Tropics, it plays a lot like Zelda. So I understand there are so many references out there that this is a Zelda successor or that this game is kind of derivative from that title. Or maybe it's derivative of other RPGs like, say, uh, Dragon Warrior or other games with kind of an overhead world map. And, and you have that, right? You have that overhead style world map that you travel through. Uh, you can talk to people, kind of learn about your surroundings and setting, learn about what to do next through dialogue. And then the core gameplay, though, is kind of this dungeon exploration with a culminating boss battle. Uh, and then you also have things like heart pieces. You have uh, big heart pieces that will raise your health by one heart. You can use magic items. You can toggle between items. You have different weapons. It's very reminiscent of games like Zelda and past games. The one difference that I would call out, though, is the controls. When you press a direction, Mike is really just going to face in that direction. You have this slight delay before you can start moving. And because the game is based on a grid, your movements and jumping, they're very exact. Uh, you know that if you move forward one, you're going to move forward one whole grid uh, block. And to me, that was almost a blessing and a curse. It's kind of a blessing because you know exactly where you can go and you can know exactly every jump, every move. You can know that it's a calculated move, but it's a bit of a curse because the game to me felt a little stiff just because of the rigid movements of Mike. And just before recording this episode, I discovered that there's a ROM hack that will minimize this delay by, I think, seven frames. So when you're shifting directions and moving around, you can only move in four directions, uh, up, down, left, and right, uh, and it will minimize the delay. I haven't tried it yet, but I imagine that would definitely increase the pacing and really make for a more enjoyable gaming experience. Uh, So I might actually try that out. There's also a ton of tile hopping in this game. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, You basically hop from tile to tile to solve a lot of puzzles because you're looking for these hidden foot switches. So certain tiles trigger certain things to help uh, progress through puzzles. It's really not a bad gameplay mechanic. It just gets very repetitive. Every dungeon seems to have this similar, you know, kind of tile hopping mechanic, uh, and it's a bit overused. I also found the game's difficulty... Uh, the game's difficulty to be a little extreme. Some traps are kind of instant kill traps, and some puzzles uh, when I was playing through are near impossible to solve without trial and error, uh, trial and error by dying uh, or reading a guide like Nintendo Power or an FAQ on the internet. And also there are some secret passages throughout the game, and I found that a lot of them were not obvious at all. And I know that you know, a secret passage shouldn't be super obvious, but uh, it became one of those chores uh, to try to figure out where to go next because uh, the secret was very, very well kept. Uh, I also found many of the puzzles to be a hindrance uh, more than a challenging exercise. The way that they are in Zelda titles and certainly later Zelda titles, uh, it just felt a little too, I don't know, the difficulty just felt a little extreme and unforgiving. Uh, But it was a great game. Uh, So I'll give you my quick take on the game, and then we'll listen to uh, our feedback from David Oxford. So I'm actually fresh off of my first playthrough of this game. I skipped it when I was a kid. Uh, I knew about it. I didn't play it. Uh, I certainly didn't play Zoda's Revenge uh, because I was playing the Super Nintendo at the time. I kind of moved on from the NES, uh, and I skipped it when it came out on Virtual Console and other things. 
Uh, and to me, the game, it feels exactly like what it is. This feels like a game that was developed by Japan for the North America or Western audience. And it actually reminds me of this time that I saw, I saw this band in Philadelphia. Uh, I'll tell a quick story. So this band, uh, their name is Acid Mother's Temple. They're a ridiculous band, uh, really talented. And they were from Japan. And I don't know if they spoke English. I'm assuming that they speak some English uh, just because they toured the United States many times and Europe as well. Uh, but on stage, uh, rather than talking with the crowd, either in Japanese or English, uh, the band members would really frequently say American words like Coca-Cola. And that reminded me of Star Tropics because instead of naming the towns uh, certain names, they just appended words to cola, uh, like coral cola. And I thought that that was so funny and, and reminiscent for me of this experience I had seeing this Japanese band play uh, in a small bar in Philly. Uh, but back to Star Tropics. So I felt that this game was uh, very derivative of Goonies. Uh, and I, I'm talking uh, mostly about the movie uh, Goonies because it just felt like you were exploring caves. Uh, there's one part where you're uh, stepping on piano notes to open up kind of a pirate's trap that you need to get through. Uh, and as I was reading about this game, I was reminded in an article on Hardcore Gaming 101 that Mikey, the character in Goonies 2, the game, actually uses a yo-yo uh, as his weapon of choice. Um, so it's definitely felt derivative of Goonies. And I saw, you know, some articles point to that, but not not that many. Uh, and, and to me, that speaks to, you know, kind of the Japanese, uh, the Japanese audience or the Japanese developers pulling from American pop culture. And one thing that I personally didn't get to experience physically, since I just played it now for the first time, the original game came with an actual letter from Uncle Steve to Mike. This came in the uh, instruction manual. It was included. And you could dip this letter in water to reveal a specific code. And the kicker here is that you needed that code to progress through the game. I actually had to look it up online. It was... Uh, really interesting to come across this challenge in the game that required you to uh, use something that was a physical manifestation of the world in Star Tropics. So there's this really awesome fan community surrounding this game. And I discovered this community at StarTropics.com, which is kind of an unofficial uh, fan site. And they have an unofficial fan game. And it also comes with a level editor. I didn't get a chance to play with it. Uh, but they also have a message board. And through the message board, I found that there was a Star Tropics Discord server. And I was able to chat with a few fans of the series in that uh, particular Discord server. So Corey, who is the administrator, uh, he summed up the experience of dipping the letter in the water so perfectly. Uh, and I'm going to read this verbatim from Corey. As it is, Star Tropics is already a unique, innovative game. But the letter is really what sets it apart from others in my eyes. The idea that the world of the game crosses over into the reality of the player, that's just fascinating. Uh, so, Corey, thank you for you know, your conversations uh, in the Discord server. And also thank you for this quote, uh, because I totally agree. That really sums up what that experience must have been like uh, early on. And then even for the virtual console release, there was a virtual letter that you could dip in water. And I thought that was cool, too. Uh, I still need to play the sequel, Zoda's Revenge. It looks it looks good. It looks really good. You have uh, eight directional movement, I believe, which sounds promising because I felt the four directional movement was a little stiff. Uh, but I really just love the vibe of this world that was created uh, by uh, Takada. And I wish 
that Nintendo would revisit it, maybe even on the Switch. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what the future of Star Tropics looks like. And as I mentioned earlier, I had a great conversation with David Oxford about Star Tropics uh, and what he'd like to see if it made its way to new consoles. So here's a quick clip from my conversation with David. I'm excited to welcome David Oxford to the show. David is a video game and popular culture journalist and a freelance writer. He's been contributing to the art of writing about video games for many, many years. He's been working with sites like US Gamer, IGN, OneUp.com, and I'm sure uh, many, many more. Uh, I will put a link to his site in the show notes so you can check it out. He's also been working with magazines, magazines like Nintendo Power, which of course we're familiar with, and now Nintendo Force, uh, which is an amazing spiritual successor to Nintendo Power. Definitely recommend you check that out. And uh, he's been working working with publishers uh, like Udon Entertainment, who put out an awesome Mega Man field guide. Uh, David has also been heavily involved with the Mega Man Network, which is an incredible community and resource on the web. So, David, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And I'm sure that we could sit here and talk about 100 uh, different games, uh, but I've tapped you specifically to talk about one kind of quirky, uh, lesser discussed game that was released on the Nintendo Entertainment System, and that is Star Tropics. And you recently responded to some fan mail in Nintendo Force, uh, where the question was, hey, Ox, what's the next dormant franchise Nintendo should bring back to the Switch? And you said F-Zero could use some love. You also said maybe something new uh, with the Kid Icarus franchise would be cool. But then you also said, and I'll quote, that's only if a new Star Tropics is off the table. And that kind of made my ears perk up uh, or my eyes because I was reading. Uh, And, you know, the next question was, uh, what do you think Retro Studios is doing now that they're not working on Metroid Prime 4? And you said Kid Icarus Prime, maybe. Uh, And then you also said maybe a new Star Tropics, hopefully. So I immediately, when I read that and I knew that I had this episode coming up, I thought, you know, I should probably tap David for this episode, because clearly, you know, he's thinking about Star Tropics as, you know, possibly a, a, a candidate for a new uh, entry in the franchise, right? Something that could be released on the Switch. Uh, so you've been covering Nintendo for, for quite a while. I'm curious, why do you think we've seen so little of Mike Jones and the gang from Star Tropics over the past, you know, decade or two? Quite possibly. I think maybe it just didn't do the numbers Nintendo wanted either back then or on the virtual console now. Of course, then again, the uh, first one uh, apparently did well enough to warrant a sequel, so maybe the sequel didn't perform, and who, kn- who knows? The way it was released at the tail end of the NES's lifespan, maybe it was set up to fail. Who, kn- who knows how this stuff works? Uh, the other reason, I think, is probably, perhaps even more likely, basically the fact that I, I know that we got it. I don't know that Japan ever got it. Uh, they might have gotten it with the virtual console at some point. I forget if Europe even got it. So, I mean, there's like a very narrow window there, relatively speaking. I imagine it's probably largely out of Nintendo's kind of, you know, periphery. I mean, Punch-Out! even, like, that's, like, I believe, more popular in America. As I recall, Japanese sure. fans, like in uh, Smash Brothers, they were like, who is this guy? Why is he in? Uh, which is, you know, funny after we had to get Fire Emblem characters when we had no Fire Emblem games. But uh, just the same, uh, I imagine it would be all... They at least got the Punch-Out games over there, so I imagine Star Tropics is all the worse. I imagine most of the higher-ups probably have no idea of Star Tropics. The way Nintendo's been doing things lately with, like, uh, the Western developers, you've got, like, next-level games and uh, retro studios, and we're seeing, uh, you know developmental heads from Japan working with these teams over here. 
I think if there was enough of a vocal outpouring, we want Star Tropics that maybe, hopefully, Nintendo would, you know, have him come back and perhaps work with uh, one of those studios to create a new Star Tropics, maybe for a new generation. And, and that's a great kind of segue into my, my next question. We're starting to wrap things up. Uh, you know, based on your comment in the Nintendo Force uh, Q&A, I'm, I'm curious, it's 2017. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but what do you think a, a reincarnation of Star Tropics would look like? Let's say it was uh, a reality on the Nintendo Switch. What would you want it to look like? Ideally, <laughs> ideally it would be beautiful. The night sky visuals, like the title screen, I actually have that as one of my desk in my desktop wallpaper rotation. Oh, cool. That the tropical islands, the waters, the palm trees, just all of that, it, just really kind of striking, nice visuals that I really think someone like a Retro Studios... I know they've been wanting to do a Zelda game. Maybe this would be close enough to scratch that itch for them. Probably not, because Zelda is Zelda, of course. But sure, um, sure. I think they could do well by it, or Next Level Games. I'm just imagining something just kind of really... I'm just imagining something along the lines, basically what, say, 3D Zelda is to the old 2D Zeldas. Something along those lines, but you know, with a more contemporary tropical setting. And keep that same story going uh, with the same characters and everything? I would like that. Uh, I would honestly love a remake of the first game, but barring that uh, sequel that kind of returns to it in a fashion, say... Because the second one was neat, but I didn't like it as much as the first one, if I'm being perfectly honest. But something that returns to it, because Nintendo has a habit sometimes of the second game being the odd one out and then the third one returning to form and kind of having a super metroid of sorts to the uh originals you know if the original were metroid as it were so something along those lines in a sequel that basically revisits but expands on everything would also be pretty great and since we're several console generations removed it would probably be immense (laughs) in scope oh yeah totally and, and nude, and it would be new to a lot of people, uh, just because it's such a yeah. Older that's franchise. why I think a remake would probably be good, is to just retell the story and kind of tidy things up for you know modern audience. Thanks so much to David for your time and for that interview. And if you're interested, I will run the full interview on Tuesday, uh, so you can check that out on the podcast feed on Tuesday. We also snuck in. Uh, some conversation about Mega Man 2. And you'll find out why uh, David is the go-to person for Mega Man uh, in just a bit. Oh, also, uh, David sent me two Star Tropics 3D renders. These are renders, kind of fan art renders that I'll link up in the show notes as well so you can check this out. This is a really cool look at what a new Star Tropics game could look like. Uh, And I was excited to see these. Uh, So thank you, David. Uh, If you want to play Star Tropics today, You can legally play Star Tropics on the Wii and the Wii U Virtual Console, as well as on the NES Classic. I don't think it's on the 3DS uh, eShop, but that would be nice. It would be nice to be able to play on that with save states. Uh, But I would highly recommend checking this game out. Uh, It definitely is a classic Nintendo title, uh, even though we didn't see much of it later on. Uh, But we'll see. We'll see what the future holds for Star Tropics. And of course, we'll mention it a bit next episode. So up next, we're going to touch on some of the other featured games in Volume 21. Despite Star Tropics being featured on the cover, the next game that we'll talk about was actually the first game that was featured in the issue itself, I believe on page 8, so super early on in the issue. Uh, let's take a listen 
to the opening track from this game. Turtles Come Home, Konami's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the arcade just took a mutant module to your NES. All those righteous scenes are here, plus two excellent new stages. The Foot Clan foes you love to hate are back too, not to mention the evil masterminds who would like nothing more than to snack on turtle pizza. So grab your bro for the two-player game or challenge the Shredder alone for some mega kicks. Uh, So this, of course, is TMNT2 the arcade game. Uh, Really, really exciting to see this on the NES. I had great memories playing this. Uh, We just listened to Fire by Lame Genie, again, with another incredible track. Uh, You can check out the show notes for links to that song as well and more songs from their other album. Uh, This actually received better ratings uh, in the power meter than Star Tropics. So graphics and sound, 3.9, play control, 4.1, challenge and excitement, 4.3, and theme and fun, 4.9. Zero. TMNT2, the arcade game. Cowabunga, arcade action on the NES. Uh, we have a great illustration of the turtles here. Uh, Bodacious Bros. We have all of the different turtles that you can select. Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, of course. So you can select uh, from the four, just like in the arcade game. Nintendo Power also goes over the damage points and enemy hit points. You don't really see that in the game itself. So you don't really know uh, from the game you know, how much damage your attacks are doing and then also how many attacks you need to do to defeat a certain boss. But the actual point values are listed here for enemies and bosses, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. There's a couple of different moves. Uh, so the turtles have different moves, slash, break the hold, flying kick, and special attack. Uh, And then, of course, we go through each of the scenes in this game. Uh, Scene one, fire, let's save April. It's the burning building. This is the infamous uh, first level to the arcade game. I'm sure a lot of you have very specific memories of this. Uh, You defeat uh, Rocksteady at the end, uh, and then you have a nice little cut scene. Rocksteady, of course, is the rhino uh, from TMNT. Uh, scene two, come on after that shredder, uh, you take it to the streets. Uh, Bebop is at the end of this level. Uh, there's a bunch of beat up old cars. And then you have uh, Professor Stockman uh, at the end of this level as well. Scene three. Uh, so this is actually a new stage that was created just for the NES. It is a snow stage. Let's melt snow and rebuild uh, New York City. Um, so this is awesome. Uh, this is the uh, snow level where you defeat Tora and Baxter at the end of the level. Uh, and we, of course, we have a map here of the level. Uh, I remember this stage so fondly. And in just a minute, I'm going to kind of bring you back there because there's an incredible cover 
by a uh, band that we listened to already called Playing With Power. And uh, the guitar work on this is just going to blow you away. Uh, scene four, let's get to that uh, secret factory. This is a highway level. Uh, the Foot Clan throwing big tires at you. I remember that specifically. There's a skateboarding segment at the end. I thought that that was really awesome. You know, you're on the highway, uh, rolling on the skateboards. This is kind of a, uh, a trope that you'll see in other Turtles games as well. Scene five, come on, let's bust this joint. Uh, you, you'll face uh, the Stone Warrior at the end of this scene. I don't remember the Stone Warrior from the actual, uh, the actual show uh, or comics. Scene six, let's defeat the enemy's ninja magic. Uh, this is kind of like you're in a dojo. Uh, this is really uh, interesting as well. This is another new stage uh, for the NES, and you defeat the Shogun Warrior at the end of that. Uh, there is kind of a uh, code here. Uh, so how would you like to start with 10 Turtle Lives? Of course, I would like to start with 10 Turtle Lives. So up, left, left, down, 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 right, 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 B-A, start. So it's kind of a variation on the Konami code. Uh, scene seven, well, we got to find the Technodrome. Uh, and then, of course, you uh, fight the Stone Warrior there as well. We have a call out here that says, Shredder is not amused. Thumbs don't fail me now. Uh, and then, of course, at the end, you reach the ultimate challenge. You have uh, Shredder and Krang. Uh, so you have to defeat those two bosses. And I remember them being outrageously uh, challenging when I was a kid. I don't know how difficult they would be uh, revisiting that now. So let's listen to that track from the snow stage, scene three. Again, exclusive to the NES. And then we will talk quickly about the development of this game. Again, that was Playing With Power and their cover, Tonight I Dine on Turtle Gazpacho. Does it get any better than that? I, I think that, again, the guitar work there is just so good. I'm going to link that up in the show notes so you can check it out. Please go support that band if you enjoy them. Uh, I don't have any real development history on this game, uh, to be honest. Other than that, it's a port of the arcade, of course. Um, I did discover for the first time in kind of lightly researching this game that the instruction manual came with a coupon for a free personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. And there's Pizza Hut advertisements all throughout this game. So I guess it makes sense. Uh, but the funny thing is that you couldn't get this pizza if you lived in Quebec or Mexico. Uh, so anywhere in the United States or I guess other parts of Canada, you can redeem this coupon. Uh, I thought that was really funny. Um, I absolutely love this game, of course. Uh, I remember getting it for the first time and playing it with my best friend, uh, Anthony, at his house uh, in his basement. It was a complete replica of the feeling that we had playing at my local arcade, which I believe uh, my local Chuck E. Cheese or 
possibly my local skating rink had this four player arcade cabinet uh, to play Turtles, the arcade game. And uh, I can't remember which one had it, but I remember playing and, and kind of just throwing so many tokens into this machine. I uh, played that game for hours and I played the NES version for hours as well. It was uh, totally awesome. This game was totally awesome. And the arcade style Turtles series continued to delight me throughout the years. And I can't wait to talk about Turtles 3 for the NES in a future issue because I thought that, that that one was great. And of course, Turtles in Time for the Super Nintendo. Uh, my question for you, uh, my question for you, the listener, would be Were you disappointed when this game was released? Were you disappointed in this game at all? Did you want to continue playing that single player? TMNT action? Did you want kind of a continuation of the first game? Disarming bombs to save the dam, riding around in the turtle van, squashing the foot soldiers like ants, finding items like the rope. Uh, Did you want more of that? Or were you happy to get the arcade rendition uh, on the home console? So if you you did uh, either way, let me know. You can write to me at tom at powertimepodcast.com or you can tweet me at yo power time with your thoughts on the ninja turtles franchise especially turtles 2 and the continuation from turtles 1 so we're going to keep things rolling in my mission to try to keep these episodes down to under an hour uh we'll quickly go over some of the other featured games in this issue uh up next we have quantum fighter so this game Uh, The program calls for hair-raising action when Colonel Scott O'Connor is zapped into a top-secret defense supercomputer to battle a mysterious invading force he is unprepared for the world he encounters. The mechanized silicon jungle surrounding him crawls with weird creatures, and he has become a legendary kabuki character with quantum fighting powers. This game from Hail America uh, received good scores uh, here, 3.6, 3.6, 3.5, 3.7. Uh, So it fared pretty well. Uh, The illustrations in this section are really cool. We learn a little bit about uh, kabuki, which is a traditional Japanese art, uh, a traditional dramatic art from Japan. It's unique to Eastern culture. A Western equivalent might be ballet or opera. So it's it's cool. This is an interesting title. Uh, we have the maps and uh, the strategy for the game's first five rounds, uh, which I guess are the first five stages. And I'm not going to cover this extensively just because of time uh, and also because I've never actually played this game. I do recall this game. I just, I haven't played it sadly. So I'm going to have to go and check this game out. If you, if you really appreciated this game, definitely tweet me at yo power time, uh, because it looks amazing. Uh, Mega Man esque, uh, here it says, uh, so I'm going to check it out. And the second reason I'm not going to cover it extensively is because there's a recent Retronauts episode. Uh, Retronauts is a fantastic retro gaming podcast. It's probably the quintessential retro gaming podcast. And uh, there's a good episode they've done not too long ago where they cover this game uh, and they're going to do a much better job than I ever could. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check out that episode if you're interested in this game. Up next, and I'm also not going to go too deep into these because of time as well, we have back-to-back RPGs. We have Magician by Taxon USA and we have Ultima Quest of the Avatar. The coverage here, uh, we kind of see the Final Fantasy-like coverage that we've seen in the past. We have lots of maps uh, really helping you direct you on where to go. Uh, And then also tips and tricks to understand the gameplay elements, like the different spells and the different puzzles that you have to solve in these RPGs. Uh, Magician, it it looks cool. The graphics look pretty good, uh, and it definitely fared well uh, in that category for the review For Ultima Quest of the Avatar, uh, this was from FCI. 
And uh, this was the second NES installment of the famous role-playing game series Ultima. Uh, it looks good. Uh, again, also good scores, uh, but uh, we're not going to cover these too extensively. Uh, I apologize for all those RPG fans out there. Moving forward, the now playing section kind of hits on a ton of games that are recently released uh, or should be released very soon. Games that have been reviewed, uh, but they didn't warrant a full feature. We have Galaxy 5000, a space racing game. Shadow of the Ninja, a Ninja Gaiden-like action game. Ski or Die, and that game is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Isolated Warrior, a diagonal jump and shoot game. This actually looks pretty interesting. Uh, we have the Cryon Conquest, a kind of quirky-looking Mega Man-style game from Tokai. Uh, and then we have North and South. Uh, this is a Civil War sim from Kemco Sika. And this was on a lot of different systems. Uh, apparently, it was on the Commodore Amiga and uh, the Atari ST. And it ended up on the NES and a couple other systems like ZS, uh, ZX uh, Spectrum and uh, DOS and MSX. Uh, but yeah, this game looks really, really interesting. Uh, looks very silly. I might have to check out this game. Uh, moving on, though, uh, we're going to jump into our next section of the podcast, and that is previews. Uh, previews are always fascinating and exciting to me. I remember as a kid just getting so pumped up for future games, just knowing that you couldn't have them just yet, but they were coming soon uh, was really exciting. So we have Adventure Island 2, the sequel to Adventure Island, a great soundtrack. We have Star Wars, and interesting and interestingly enough for Star Wars, there's no screenshots. Uh, there's no actual shots of the gameplay. There's just an article with shots from the film, A New Hope. And we have some notes here, right? So we learned that it's being developed by JVC. We learned that it's totally different than the Japanese release that ended up on the Famicom a few years prior to this. Uh, and we see that it's going to follow the plot of the first Star Wars movies, and it's going to contain three different perspectives on the action. So we're going to get three different gameplay styles, planet side adventure scenes, first person perspective action from the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, which sounds really awesome, and exterior view outer space dogfights. Uh, so very, very varied gameplay here. Uh, and maybe we'll get some screenshots in a future issue. Uh, Double Dragon 3, uh, not much to say about that. Of course, it is Double Dragon 3. Uh, we have the Super Famicom Showcase. So this is where I just get so amped up. Super NES is my favorite Nintendo console. Uh, and here we see that the Super NES is on its way during the Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas CES. Uh, Nintendo of America, Inc. called a special press conference to announce that the next generation 16-bit Super NES would int be introduced in America in September of 1991. So it's coming. It's coming to the U.S. Uh, due to demand, production will be increased in 1992. Uh, we've heard all this before, and this repeats in Nintendo's history time and time again, demand of their uh, their consoles, their systems. We see a picture of the Super Famicom here, but it does uh, mention that the U.S. version will look different uh, than what we see here. Uh, we also have a really great article on Sim City. Now, this is very relevant. Uh, so SimCity was developed for the NES and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Ultimately, it was only released on the Super Nintendo. So we have some quotes here from Will Wright, SimCity's creator, who worked with Miyamoto on the development of SimCity for the Super Nintendo. Uh, SimCity for the NES, it was recently 
discovered. So a a version of SimCity was recently discovered, uh, and it was literally just dumped, I think, in the past week or two uh, by video game preservationist Frank Sofaldi. And this whole thing is unfolding right now, and I know that he is actively kind of looking at this game. Uh, he actually tweeted out recently uh, an icon, I guess, on his desktop of SimCity, uh, the ROM. So he is preserving this this title, the NES version. Uh, really cool stuff happening with the Video Game History Foundation uh, that Frank runs. So definitely uh, check that out for sure. So uh, here it, it also says in this article, although we haven't heard if SimCity will be released for the U.S., uh, on Super Nintendo, we advise you to look out for the regular NES version of the game. Differences between the Super Famicom and the NES version will be a matter of graphic detail only. And of course, as we know, it was never released on the NES. Uh, super interesting uh, piece of history. Up next, we have Scat from Natsume. Uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode. Totally Rad by Jalico. You play as a magician named Jake. Uh, this game looks totally rad and i, I want to uh step back and play this one as well because i think i passed that one up uh, we have wolverine terminator 2 a couple movie licenses sword master by activision nabunaga's ambition 2 and under nes planner uh earthbound is still listed uh, so the original earthbound on nes is still listed there i, ca- I can't believe it All right, that brings us to the next section of the podcast, and that is called That's So Retro. This is where I dig into the things that are just absolutely straight out of 1991, remind us of the 90s, uh, starting with the Howard and Nestor comic. And this time it is a take on Mega Man 3, where Nestor tries to convince Howard that Wily turned a new leaf and is no longer evil. But of course, you know, we know where that's probably going to end up. Uh, the rad pullout poster for this issue is Metal Storm. Uh, we're going to talk about Metal Storm. The poster is really cool. It's in that claymation style that we talked about earlier. Uh, on the opposite side, you have the maps for Star Tropics. I skipped over the Game Boy section of this issue. Uh, the only thing that I'll note is that Gremlins 2 is featured, uh, the Game Boy version. And it looks like it's kind of a simple side-scrolling platformer. It's much different than the NES counterpart that we talked about last week on the previous episode. Uh, But it looks like a good Game Boy game by all accounts. Uh, So we skipped it over. uh, We skipped over it. But uh, definitely check out Gremlins 2 on Game Boy if you're into Game Boy games. As we do always, I want to give a Power Time podcast salute to the gameplay counselors of Nintendo Power. Uh, they always do these profiles, and this one is awesome. So we have Sean McGoldrick. He became a gameplay counselor in January of 1990. His hobbies include composing music, sketching, meditating, and performing. His best accomplishment, completed Maniac Mansion without saving the game once. But here is what really excites me. His favorite game was Earthbound. So his favorite game was Earthbound, and... I wish that I could have a conversation with Sean McGoldrick and I'm going to do my best uh, to try to reach out and try to get in touch with Sean because I just want to know what was that prototype of Earthbound like at the Nintendo Power headquarters? Was it translated? Uh, Was there any Japanese at all? Uh, Was it finished? I just would love to learn more about that game uh, that we didn't see in the United States until much later when it was released as Earthbound Origins. Uh, So I would love to learn more about that. Uh, next we have something that is completely retro. It is called the game handler. It is a one handed controller 
And uh, we have a Discord server at PowerTime. You can check out powertimepodcast.com slash Discord uh, if you want to chat with me and a few other listeners throughout the week. And I posted a video. Uh, it's a 10-minute instructional slash demo video of the game handler. It's a fascinating little blurb here in Nintendo Power, but the video is just completely insane. It is really, really funny, very retro. Uh, I don't know why you would want to use a one-handed controller um, unless, of course, you were playing something that required uh, almost like a, a cockpit view game. Uh, so if you were flying that Millennium Falcon or if you were doing a flight sim, maybe it makes sense. Uh, but in the video, they show playing. Uh, they showed the player playing Dr. Mario, uh, which is just completely absurd to me. Uh, that brings us to our next section of the podcast, uh, which is are we having fun yet? And are we having fun yet is my opportunity just to pull out things that really didn't fit in throughout the podcast episode, uh, but they're still really fun, worth noting. The first thing that I noticed was in classified information. This is really where all the tips and tricks are. I don't really mention it much uh, unless something really stands out. But in this issue of Nintendo Power in classified information, they talk about in Super Mario Brothers 3 how to get all of the anchors and P-Wings. Right, so I knew that about a couple of these. Right, so in one four world one four, if you uh, were to get forty four coins, you would get a P wing, and then in two two in the desert stage, if you get thirty coins, you'll get the anchor. But what I didn't know is that in three eight four two five five six seven and seven two, they also have coin thresholds where you can get additional P wings and anchors. Uh, so I remember the word on the street, 1-4 and 2-2, two, two, uh, but I didn't know that every world seemed to have these secrets that you could uncover by getting all the coins in the level. It was very, very challenging, uh, but it's cool that they revealed the actual coin count that you need to get in this particular issue. Uh, next, I want to talk about this section that we referenced at the beginning of the episode. It's called Power to the Player, and it's a feature that explains in great detail where these really interesting review numbers come from, these odd numbers, 3.2, 3.3, 2.7, how do the uh, Nintendo Power staff members who write these reviews come up with these numbers? And this article does a great job explaining that in, in again, very great detail. So most players use power meters for comparing their favorite games, which has the best graphics, which is the greatest challenge, and so on. The same process of comparing games takes place constantly at Nintendo of America, where all of the new games in development are played and evaluated. So the four main categories that they use to do this evaluation is graphics and sound, play control, challenge and lasting interest, and theme and fun. Uh, and within those, they break down into two subcategories. So we have overall enjoyment, story, initial feel, play control, sound, graphics, difficulty, and lasting interest. All of those are on a five-point scale, and then they'll average those off to give you the four numbers that you he that you see uh, in the power meter, which is the set of review numbers for each episode, or for each game. Uh, the ultimate power player. So this little blurb talks about the game master, Howard Phillips. Uh, so the game evaluators, including Game Master Howard Phillips, come from Nintendo's product development group and gameplay counseling. These players evaluate hundreds of games every year, and because they see so many games, they are better able to make comparisons, and that results in better evaluations and power meters. 
Uh, it, there's also a blurb here that game developers often make changes to games in development when weaknesses are suggested by power meter evaluations. So this is really, really interesting. So it sounds like certain developers who had a good relationship with Nintendo were able to send prototypes of the game and pre-release versions of the game and have them be evaluated. And it sounds like they receive power meter scores that they can go take back and take that information and make tweaks and revisions to the game. Uh, So I thought that that was pretty cool that this kind of uh, game R&D conversation was happening with Nintendo at the time. Uh, really helps the developers make the best possible game. So yeah, I found this this particular article to be very interesting, just like the article about the technology that we talked about in the last episode, uh, where we talked about the MMC chips and we talked about what is under the hood in your game pack. So I like these types of articles. Uh, they're very informative, but also really gives us a glimpse into the window of how things work, uh, both under the hood with your Nintendo hardware and then also at Nintendo Power Headquarters. Uh, So up next in Are We Having Fun Yet? We have a letter from Mailbox, and I'm not going to read the whole letter, uh, but I just love this uh, thing that I learned, this little detail that I learned. The letter's from Jim Willits. And Jim said, I was on a very boring four-hour drive from Jersey Shore, PA, to Pasadena, Maryland. So I decided to whip out my Game Boy. I was playing Tetris when all of a sudden, screech, my dad slammed on the brakes. Uh, There was an accident ahead. He was a little too quick at applying the brakes. The momentum tore the Game Boy from my hands and out the side window. Beep was the last sound it made as it flew down, down, down over the bank. Before my family or I knew what I was doing, I was out of the car and flying over the railing. I've never moved so fast. While we waited about an hour for the accident to clear, my sister and I looked for the Game Boy. Finally, I faintly heard the music to Tetris. To my surprise, when I recovered my Game Boy, it didn't have a scratch on it. The rest of the way to Maryland, I had a tight grip on it. So I said I wasn't going to read that whole letter, but as I started reading, I couldn't stop. The story is too fascinating. So uh, Game Boy goes flying out the window. But what I loved most about this is I'm from uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we go to the Jersey Shore. Uh, I go to South Jersey. I go to the, uh, the beach in South Jersey, which is much different than the Jersey Shore in North Jersey that was popularized by that MTV TV show right? But we call it the Jersey Shore. And it sounds like, and I confirmed this, there is a town in Pennsylvania called Jersey Shore, PA. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Uh, So the more you know. Uh, The celebrity profile for this uh, particular issue, we have Vlad Divac and AC Green, two players from the Lakers. Uh, Not a big sports ball guy, so I'll probably pass over that quickly. And jump right in to Game Boy's Top 10 and the NES Top 10, straight out of the NES Top 30, and we'll wrap up this episode. So the top games on Game Boy in February 1991, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Super Mario Land, Final Fantasy Legend, Tetris, Dr. Mario, Gargoyles Quest, Batman, Quix, Castlevania The Adventure, and Double Dragon. In the NES Top 10, at number one, we have Super Mario Bros. 3. Number two, Final Fantasy. I believe those were unchanged from the previous month. Number three, we have NES Play Action Football. Number four, Mega Man 2. Number five, we have Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. Number six, we have Crystallis. We have Dr. Mario. We have TMNT 2, the arcade game. We, have, we still have Tetris here at number nine. 
And we have the original Legend of Zelda still in the top 10 at number 10. And I, I love watching these from month to month kind of fluctuate. And it really showcases a lot of games that I need to go back and play. Uh, but it also showcases the games that really had staying power. I mean, Mega Man 2, Tetris, Legend of Zelda, uh, still here in the top 10. It's pretty great. And that's going to bring us to the end of our episode. I hope that you enjoyed our tropical adventure through the history of Star Tropics and taking a look at a few other games. Uh, the games that are reviewed next month that we're going to take a look at, we have Metal Storm, G.I. Joe, we're going to look at another special report from Nintendo. This time it's going to be on the hardware itself. So we looked at the game packs and the reviews. Now we're going to look at the actual control deck for the NES. We'll take a look at chapters three through six of Star Tropics, but we'll probably kind of blaze through Star Tropics quickly because we already covered most of it. And uh, we'll see what other surprises volume number 22 has to offer. So the featured music for this episode, the intro outro music was provided by Azor Flux, and that was used with permission. Then we heard the Star Tropics medley and the TMNT theme Fire by Lame Genie. Then we heard Star Tropics dungeon theme and Tonight I Dine on Turtle Gaspacho from Playing With Power. And we also listened to Navcom by a musician who goes by the name Apollo Merriweather. Uh, and they also have a uh, Apollo Merriweather. He also has a Twitch uh, channel, which I'll link to in the show notes as well. So uh, really fantastic music. As I always uh, recommend, check out the rest of their selections. I'll have links that you can check out uh, and you can check those out at powertimepodcast.com slash 21. It's really important that we continue to support great video game tribute artists uh, such as these. So in closing, I want to quickly announce the winner of the Power Time Podcast SNES giveaway. I'm super excited that I was able to give away a Super Nintendo Classic, uh, and the winner is David O. Uh, so I want to thank you so much, David, for entering. I want to thank everybody for participating. We got over 300, uh, 300 entrants. Uh, that includes people who uh, entered using all five methods, right? So uh, it was a good opportunity for a lot of people uh, to try to, to get the SNES Classic, uh, which I believe will become easier and easier to get. Uh, so if you haven't been able to get one in stores, I believe they're, they're becoming easier and easier. They're starting to restock. Um, so good luck to you out there. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed the giveaway. I'm going to try to do more of that. Uh, obviously, I can't afford to give away an $80 item every month, but I'm going to see if there's opportunities for me to give away more things. Uh, so keep Keep posted, stay subscribed, enjoy the show, and uh, keep keep on the lookout for more giveaway opportunities. Uh, before I sign off, I just want to note that it is Mario Odyssey release week. It is a big week for modern uh, Nintendo fans. And N64 Josh, who is the host of the Nintendo Powercast, which is another Nintendo podcast, a great Nintendo podcast, uh, he got together a bunch of other Nintendo podcasters uh, to talk about the history of 3D Mario games. And uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to this. Uh, so I listened to it the other day. It really got me hyped up for Mario Odyssey and the reviews are getting me hyped up. I have it pre-ordered. It's coming tomorrow. Uh, so today's Thursday. So tomorrow, uh, hopefully Amazon will deliver. Uh, but I really enjoyed this podcast. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Uh, I know I've said that a billion times. There's a billion links in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but if you want to check that out, definitely check it out because it's worthwhile. And check out Nintendo PowerCast. Uh, Nintendo PowerCast and SwitchCraft, those are like my two favorite 
modern Nintendo uh, coverage podcasts. Uh, so check those out. Power Time Podcast is brought to you proudly by listeners like you and your ongoing support by subscribing, listening, and leaving quick and honest reviews on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope that you did, please leave a quick review and let me know what you think. I'll be happy to read any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, on the show. Power Time is also brought to you by patrons like my mom. You know, my mom doesn't even listen to the show. She was just kind enough to donate $15 a month to help support things like hosting costs and uh, buying music uh, that I feature on the show and other things. I'm still deciding on what Patreon tiers make sense for this community, but if you are eager to throw a few dollars my way, you can head on over to patreon.com slash power time. But the absolute best way to support the show right now is simply to share power time with a friend, a family member, or maybe an online community that you really think might dig it. It is 100% free to listen to and share the show. Uh, So I greatly appreciate it. You can interact with me and the PowerTime community through Twitter by tweeting me at YoPowerTime. You can hang out in the Discord server at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Discord. That's where I occasionally share some fun screenshots, videos, discoveries while researching the issues. Uh, And there's a few of us in there uh, if you want to just come and chat. And finally, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter and get access to a private Facebook group at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Unlocked. And you'll be the first to hear... Uh, any new announcements for the show. That's also where I post new episodes. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed this one. I certainly did uh, lots of cool things to uncover. uh, And my anticipation for uh, Mario Odyssey is so high right now. Uh, I'm going to take that energy and I'm going to roll it right into the next episode, which I'll be uh, airing next week, alongside with the DLC episode with my full interview with David Oxford. Uh, So stay tuned. As always, I want to thank you so much for your time and your attention. Uh, Check out the next episode. Keep in touch with me. And as always, keep on playing with power. 